Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. It's Sirius XM Progress. Good evening and welcome to Tell Me Everything. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Progress After Dark. We're so glad you're with us for the next three hours. We got a lot of gray on the cover, and I'm glad you are here. Author Andre Solo joins us tonight to talk about sensitive people. Everyone has a sensitive side, but nearly one in three people have the genes to be more sensitive than others, both physically and emotionally. Is that you, or are you more insensitive than others? I mean, you're listening to this show, so honestly, it could go either way. But Andre Solo is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Sensitive Refuge, the world's largest website for sensitive people. It's actually a type of person, highly sensitive people. That includes Emily Dickinson, Abraham Lincoln, Catherine Hepburn, Eleanor Roosevelt, Steve Martin, Glenn Close, apparently. I don't know how these diagnoses were made. But uh, now Andre Solo, along with his partner Jennifer Graneman, have co-authored a really wonderful book called Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. We will talk with Mr. Solo later in the show. We're also later in the show going to talk about refugees and the refugee crises that are not getting as much coverage as Trump not being indicted. There's a lot happening right now between refugees from Afghanistan refugees from Ukraine, and the fact that we have a skilled worker deficit in the U.S. 80 million baby boomers are retiring, and there's only about 40 million Generation Xers to replace them. So as of uh, last year, we had to admit more than 1 million immigrants per year just to maintain the size of our population. We are going to talk with the president and CEO of Upwardly Global, Gina Krauss-Vilmar, about the future of migration and uh, what's happening right now, both what's getting covered and what's not. Chris Hauselt is our executive producer, and he is running this thing from the South Carolina studios. Uh, the great Thea Harper is producing this thing from the Brooklyn studios. And I come to you from Manhattan. Thank you all for the very nice comments about uh, last night's show. It was it was good. I mean, normally these shows are, I mean, you know, if you listen, these shows are, are, are awful or a train wreck most of the time. I mean, seriously, like Bono and Jimmy Carter have all written letters begging for this to stop. But uh, last night was great. We had uh, Katie Sackoff of The Mandalorian. And uh, thank you to my producer, Chris, for getting a hold of our uh, final interview with our friend. Lance Reddick from 2019. You can hear all of those on demand on the app or later this week on the John Fugelsang podcast where you can hear, well, Lord, all of our great guests like tonight. Right now, 
I think we're all set. We, it's it's crazy. Are you crazy? Has, has it been too much? Are you a highly sensitive person? Why don't you just take a breath, do whatever you need to do to get more comfortable, and sit back and enjoy a coast-to-coast live and interactive kind of eating at the bar uh, where we'll let anybody in, sometimes celebrities, sometimes right-wing cranks, sometimes very funny people, but everyone's interesting. Everyone's welcome. Let's get to it. Let's do a show. Now, Okay, I want to begin by saying something to the MAGA fans, because I know y'all are out there. I know y'all listen. God bless. I, I know sometimes, you know, maybe you get stuck on progress and you, you and shiny things are confusing and you want to turn off this channel. And I, I know sometimes, you know how it is. You listen to this channel because it, it gets you so angry. Uh, it counts as cardio. I Listen, I, I respect your process, whatever it takes. But to believe Donald Trump right now, to be on Donald Trump's side right now, you have to believe a few things when it comes to this Alvin Bragg case, this this Stormy Daniels case. There's a couple of things that you have to <laughs> that you just have to say, I accept and believe uh, you have to deny that Trump had sex with Stormy Daniels. That never happened. But you have to also admit that he paid her six figures to lie that they didn't have sex. You, you don't mind that he lied to you about the payments and you believe that he pays people to be quiet about sex that never happened. That's that's the fun thing. You believe Donald Trump pays women to lie, women he's never had sex with, and he pays them to, to, to say we never had sex. Uh, also, you believe the people who've been warning you about Trump are liars. So that's the stage. That's where we're at. I have jokes that I wrote back in 2016. I wish I could remember them all. But today proves one thing. Tom Petty was right. The waiting is the hardest part. See, Donald Trump announced on his lousy Russian money laundering website over the weekend that he expected to be arrested Tuesday in the Stormy Daniels hush money probe by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. This, of course, is the probe that was seemingly abandoned last year. A couple of prosecutors quit in protest that new D.A. Alvin Bragg wasn't pursuing it. So Alvin Bragg seems to have gotten the memo and he's pursuing it, whether it's going to be a big case or not. I'm in the unpopular camp where I don't think it matters if it's just a misdemeanor. I really don't. We'll get to that. Donald Trump said he was getting arrested on Tuesday. You heard it. And what happened? Everybody, everybody got all excited for Arrestmas 2023. Oh, my God. Liberals and moderates and sane conservatives, all of us who didn't learn the lessons from Mueller and Comey and Access Hollywood and Michael Cohen's testimony and two impeachments. A lot of folks got their hopes up. And they bought gifts. They hung stockings and gave gratitude to karma, albeit a very slow moving karma. And, well, the usual players did their usual plays. Donald Trump, of course, was announcing his innocence and playing victim wherever he could. Uh, he, he, he said in his posting, uh, take our nation back. And I think take our nation back. That's much better messaging than who wants to be the next Ashley Babbitt. The Republicans in the House, they were all over the place. They were demanding the New York DA explain himself, demanding he be arrested. Really, Rand Paul wants him locked up. They, they demanded the New York DA turn over all their investigations information to them, Trump's winged monkeys. They demanded the New York DA back down. They demanded he let go. And this is all before the DA has said anything, released anything, indicted anything. So... <laughs> 
McCarthy has been begging the MAGAs not to protest, and that's actually wise to do. He's smart enough to know that if there's any violence whatsoever, it will boomerang directly back onto Trump and him and his sad, flaccid caucus. Ron DeSantis, he's tap dancing all day, and we get to watch Ron DeSantis try to be all things to no people. The grand jury that's been investigating the payment, they seem like they're ready to complete the work uh, as soon as law enforcement finish preparing the possible unrest of uh, right-wing people. Capitol Police said there's no specific threat against the Capitol. But the media slobbered all over this story, as you well know. And Donald Trump put out a fundraising email saying, Patriot, barricades are being set up around Manhattan criminal court with a photo. As our nation awaits an announcement on whether Donald J. Crump will be indicted, all caps, red lettering, despite having committed no crime. You understand he's he's already fundraising off of the threat of violence because he might be held accountable for shit he actually did. The NYPD has received multiple bomb threats. Another bomb threat was called into the New York court where the Trump hearing was being held. And then and then today came and went. I mean, despite Trump's call for protests, uh, members of the media way outnumbered his supporters outside the Manhattan DA's office. There was a rally, and no one came. There were no indictments under the tree. Father Erasmus never made it. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. Let's start with this. Who came up with that Tuesday arrest date? Clearly not the DA's office. Say what you want about Alvin Bragg and how they've conducted this investigation. There there haven't been a lot of leaks, have there? So, so where do you think it came from? I'll give you one guess. Trump made it up. He just made up the date. He played everybody. He played his base. He played his opponents. He did what he does best. He controlled the narrative. And like many Trump turns, it was simultaneously brilliant and gobsmackingly stupid. The day came with no arrest, so Trump just kept on playing chicken with the law. He seems to think that Alvin Bragg is going to back down if Alvin Bragg's family gets enough death threats from his confederacy of dunces, or dunces of the confederacy, both terms are interchangeable now. So to the MAGA faithful, Trump today, well, he stood his ground, and the DA lacked the manhood to go after our godhead, blah, 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 etc. Trump won. And that's enough, right? I mean, when you have an attention span like the guy from Memento, <laughs> you've only got to keep him in Magaville day by day. But here's the deal. Everyone believed he was going to be arrested today because Trump himself said it. So automatically, people believed him and he controlled the narrative and framed the narrative. It's just like no collusion. You know, the thing about that, that still sticks with me. Every day I've got a MAGA coming after me saying the Democrats collusion hoax. There was no collusion. Trump said there was no collusion and there he was innocent of collusion. I mean, think about that. When Trump wasn't charged with collusion, the MAGAs were unleashed to scream about the collusion hoax. But 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 Trump started that. Trump began saying in the very beginning when people were investigating, just beginning to kind of soft investigate his ties to Russia. They never actually followed the money, never went through Russian money laundering in New York real estate, but they just started to look a little bit. Trump began saying there is no collusion, but collusion's not a crime. Trump made it up. So when it turned into nothing and he couldn't be charged with something that's not a crime, conspiracy's a crime. Collusion, it's not. He did it to make himself look good. Like he made up Tuesday's looming arrest. That's it. He played everyone. 
It's another example of Donald Trump not just getting his cult to believe his giant 40 pounds of bullshit in a 10 pound sack to all you sad liberals and sad moderates and sad anti-Trump conservatives who were expecting and hoping that an indictment would come today. Guys, you see what happens when you believe something Trump said? It's also stupid because, again, any act of violence by any incensed cult magas, it's going to stick to Trump. It's going to stick to his party. But the circus is back in town. And by in town, I mean it never actually left. Here's uh, Al Franken, guest hosting The Daily Show this week. And here he's uh, musing about the irony of Trump being brought low by a porn star. God, they love me. <laughs> and I got to say, who would have ever thought that Donald Trump would be brought down by a porn star? <laughs> All of us, right? It was pretty, pretty predictable. But yeah, Donald Trump paid Stormy Daniels uh, to keep this story quiet. And here we are still talking about it seven years later. So that would be another failed Trump business venture. <laughs> you know, they always said, when's there going to be an adult in the room with Trump? The truth was there was never going to be. There was an adult film star in the room. And in fairness, I'd like to see her run against him for the nomination, because let's be honest, Stormy Daniels, if you look at the numbers, uh, she generated a lot more jobs. But let's be honest, it's not a strong case. It's not. Can we can we be honest about this? This one, not the strongest case. Stop acting like you're finally getting Capone on a technicality here. Many high level prosecutors, many Democratic officials are, are dubious about the legal merits of this case. And they're really afraid that it could be so slight it could seriously backlash and help Trump. You know, they're so ready for Trump to finally face any kind of accountability. But what if his first major court case is a major loser for Democrats? Could that undermine future cases against him? You know, those idiots who said, well, Hillary Clinton lost. So that means that there'll never be a woman in the White House. Never mind the fact that Hillary Clinton at the time got more votes for president than any white man or orange man in history. But this this is a misdemeanor, folks. Norm Eisen said it's an open and shut books and records misdemeanor. Now to elevate it to a felony is more complicated. David Pepper used to run the Ohio Democratic Party, said there are far more serious crimes for which he should also be held to account. So <laughs> it, it's probably going to turn on whether prosecutors can prove the payment was an illegal, undocumented campaign contribution. And again, if you heard last night's Trump phone caller. And we love when our magas call. God damn, guys, if you're a Trumper, you are always welcome. You go to the front of the line. But um, you already know people who don't mind stealing from vets with a fraudulent online university, people who don't mind a 45 year history of public racism, people who don't mind stealing migrant children from their parents. They're not going to care that Donald Trump may have illegally spent money to buy someone's silence and didn't declare it as a campaign expenditure. And in the Republican Party, well, MAGA's be lying. Uh, House members are warning D.A. Alvin Bragg that an indictment of Trump would be an unprecedented miscarriage of justice and would, quote, unalterably interfere in the course of the 2024 presidential election. Marjorie Taylor Greene was talking about Ray Epps, who she says was an FBI plan to encourage violence the day of the insurrection. Uh, Ray Epps actually uh, tried to calm his fellow protesters, but he was Trump all the way. Matt Gates said the indictment is an absurd case of the criminal process in our politics. He called 
Bragg's potential decision to prosecute, which hasn't happened yet, a disgusting abuse of power. Uh, That was Rand Paul, and Rand Paul would know all about that. He called for Bragg to be put in jail. Again, let me say that again. Rand Paul said that Alvin Bragg's potential in the future prosecution is a disgusting abuse of power, and then said the DA should be put in jail. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Like, they're trying to discredit this entire story and narrative because of Michael Cohen. And they forget that Michael Cohen has already been to jail for this particular narrative in 2018 over his involvement in the Huss money payments. Michael Cohen, who's been on this show, and I've been on his show, full disclosure, he's been cooperating with authorities and multiple investigations. And they seem to think that somehow you can make this case go away because Michael Cohen's a liar on the record. It doesn't matter that Michael Cohen lies. We know we can't trust Michael Cohen. Sane people don't trust Michael Cohen and don't trust Donald Trump. Cult members trust Donald Trump and tell you not to trust the lawyers he hired for decades. The fact is, we've seen the checks signed by Trump. There's no controversy. He's not being picked on for anything. He paid $130,000 in hush money to a porn star, and he had Cohen do it as a straw donor. It is technically campaign finance fraud. Is it really the kind of hill you want to die on? Well, that's going to be the debate over the next few months. Trump has been talking on on Truth Social, and Trump is very afraid of this, and you know he's afraid of it because he's going after Ron DeSantis even harder. He posted this homophobic suggestion that DeSantis might be unfairly and illegally attacked with accusations of an affair with a man. He's already insinuated that DeSantis has had relationships with underage people while he was a teacher in Georgia, and Trump has pushed that a lot. So Ron DeSantis, he's in a tough spot. He doesn't know what to do. Uh, he doesn't want to lose the MAGAs, but he also really wants to put space between himself and Trump. He really hates Trump as much as Trump hates him. So he he seemed to think that having a side reference to why Trump's in trouble would help. Here is Ron DeSantis joking about Trump's payments to Stormy Daniels before trying to win the MAGAs back right away by going after the DA. I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to, to oh. secure silence over some type of alleged affair. I just, I can't speak to that. <laughs> but what I can speak to is that if you have a prosecutor who is ignoring crimes happening every single day in his jurisdiction, and he chooses to go back many, many years ago uh, to try to use something about porn star hush money payments, you know, that's an example of pursuing a political agenda. So he also called Bragg a Soros-funded district attorney. George Soros has poured money into DA races around the country for years. But when you hear George Soros, it's sort of like when you hear the word globalist. It's meant to insinuate some kind of shadow conspiracy. It's also meant to insinuate Jew, 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 Jewy, Jew, Jew. Anytime you hear Soros or globalist, that's the code. That's what they're saying. And, and, and DeSantis has every right to fight back. Last week, before any of this, Make America Great Again, Inc. accused DeSantis, that's Trump's PAC, of uh, skirting campaign laws and having a shadow presidential campaign in a 15-page ethics complaint in the state of Florida. So DeSantis hates this guy back, and now they're all going after him. Jason Miller, Donald Trump Jr. is just doing lines and posting videos. Oh, I, I, at least I hope he's doing lines. Trump, listen, I'm not one of these guys accusing you of doing coke. I hope you're doing coke, Don Jr., because, I mean, maybe it's Adderall, Vyvanse. I, 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 I don't know. 
But DeSantis's support among Republican primary voters has gone down to 26 percent. That is the lowest he's had since Morning Consult began tracking for Politico in December. Trump is at 54 percent. DeSantis at 26 percent. Remember three weeks ago, way back three weeks ago, when Ron DeSantis began his national book tour? That's forgotten. But DeSantis called Russia's invasion of Ukraine a territorial dispute that does not amount to a vital U.S. interest. He was flip-flopping all over the place trying to be more MAGA. But look, at the end of the day, here's the deal, guys. He paid Stormy Daniels to lie. I mean, it's not hard to understand. He told Trump Jr. to lie about the Trump Tower meeting. He ordered Don McGahn to lie to Mueller. He tried to coerce Zelensky to lie on the phone. And we're supposed to be shocked that he paid Stormy Daniels to lie? In the meantime, just remember this. This is only the beginning of Trump's problems with criminal prosecution. He just lost a bid to keep the uh, grab him by the pussy tape out of his rape trial. (laughs) Sorry. So just remember, there's still so many cases. There's Jack Smith. They're investigating the Mar-a-Lago documents. They're investigating the insurrection. They're still going after his organization on the state level. They're going after his telephone recorded election fraud in Georgia. Okay. Remember, while you're waiting for a first indictment of a U.S. president, you're also just waiting for Donald Trump's first indictment. Here's his attorney in Georgia, Drew Feindling, going on CNN and calling the system, the process in Fannie Willis's case, unconstitutional and a sign of a broken legal system. So what I'm going to say, Pamela, is I'm really I'm not going to try the case with you or anybody else uh, on TV or in the media. I mean, that's that's something you deal with in court. I'm really here to talk about a motion that we filed looking at unconstitutional behavior in this special purpose grand jury. We see the we see violations of the Fifth Amendment take place over the course of eight months. And we see an insatiable desire to kind of go after one person and result in people compromising their constitutional integrity. We're not going to do that. We're defense attorneys. We believe in the Constitution. We're committed to being criminal defense (laughs) attorneys. My greater concern is that three miles from here, this Fulton County District Attorney's Office is ignoring the fact that we have a jail overflowing with so there you go there you go okay thank you chris that's enough and so in other words there's so much crime going on why are you going after trump for this they're using that defense in new york and now they're using it in georgia as well and it's going to continue with this is groundhog day we're back to donald trump controlling the media narrative we're back to hearing about the porn star we're back to republican christians not caring about lies and crime it's 2016 all over again folks and i'm sorry but you're never going to get that perfect arrestmas you've prayed for. I know you waited for arrestmas morning and it meant so much to you and the kids, but it's not going to happen. And that's okay. Because maybe the real arrestmas is in our hearts. Maybe the real arrestmas was the friends we made along the way. Or, you know, the friends who testified against him along the way. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back. We're at 866-997-4748, getting to all your calls tonight, as God is my witness. Right now, I'm very happy to talk about a book I have been looking forward to keenly. So let's talk about your sensitive side. Everyone has a sensitive side, but nearly one in three humans have the genes to be more sensitive physically, more sensitive emotionally than others. Does it does it feel like you feel things more deeply than others might? Do you find that often you can be easily overwhelmed by loud noises or crowds or intensity? Do you do you have needs to be alone and regenerate? You could be a highly sensitive person. They are people who, you know, pause and think before they talk uh, and act. They are people who make connections others miss. They can be intelligent, big-hearted, creative, deep, and very misunderstood in a society that tells them especially men, to hide their sensitivity. I mean, Abraham Lincoln, Jane Goodall, Catherine Hepburn, Dr. King, Albert Einstein, Eleanor Roosevelt, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Emily Dickinson, each of these people had qualities or traits of an HSP. What's that, you ask? HSP means highly sensitive people. And there's a new book that is all about their struggles, their triumphs, and... um, well, how special it is to know someone or be someone who is an HSP. So Andre Solo is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of SensitiveRefuge.com, which is the world's largest website for sensitive people. He's written about sensitivity at Psychology Today, Forbes, and Quartz. You may have seen him in HuffPost or Washington Post or MSNBC. Along with Jennifer Graninen, he's the co-author of the new book, Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast too much world. I can feel myself trying to get more centered and, and calm, and I'm getting my NPR voice more as I do this intro. But it's a beautiful book that really shifts the paradigms on a community that is great but much misunderstood, and on a human quality that's very beneficial but often very misunderstood. It's a great pleasure to welcome Andre Solo to SiriusXM. Hi, John. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much for the book. I. I I got to tell you, there's there's books I read where I feel like someone's been reading my journal from junior high school. And uh, wow, I, I, I found a lot of mental checklists going off for me while I reading. I tell you, that's book, actually how we wrote the book. Real. We went through your old journal and took some notes, and that's how we put it together. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny, guys. I, I thought all these references to being beaten up on Long Island were kind of curious to me. So now I get it. <laughs> um, l- l- let me ask you, please. How, how do you define this trait, these people, highly sensitive HSPs. How how do you give your definition? Yeah, that's a really great question. So when we talk about being sensitive, I think a lot of people kind of assume it means weak or fragile or overly emotional, or maybe somebody who overreacts to things, right? And that's just not what sensitive means. As a personality trait, when we say someone is sensitive, what we mean is they, uh, they take in more information from the world around them and they do more with it. 
What I mean by that is that sensitive people are actually wired at a brain level to process all information more deeply. They basically put more mental resources and more time and energy into processing it. So they make more connections between different ideas. Uh, they might notice details that other people miss, and they often end up being very deep thinkers who are very creative uh, and uh, oftentimes make really good decisions compared to other folks. Um, so it's this deep processing of information that really means you're sensitive. And you know the great thing about that is information comes in many different kinds. So a sensitive person will be more sensitive to their physical environment. You might notice the scratchy texture of a fabric or those delicate notes of apricot. Mm -hmm. no, no wine. Uh, but sensitive people also pick up on emotional cues and social cues more easily. So if you're a highly sensitive person, you might be the only person who notices that little hint of a smile that flashes on someone's face before they try to hide it. That's right. Wow. I mean, uh, yes, true, true and true. But I, I find it fascinating, this idea of a brain that is wired to go deep. And we've met people in life who are very, very comfortable doing that. And, and you know, uh, as someone who's kind of allergic to small talk, I love going deep and I love meeting people who are wired that way. But I'm curious, what is it scientifically that makes the sensitive brain so distinct? Right. So there's uh, there's different activity that we see in the sensitive brain compared to what you might call the typical brain. Uh, and I want to be really clear that it's not that sensitive people all have genius IQs. We, we don't necessarily. Uh, it's not that sensitive people are, are in any way like superhuman. We're working with the same hardware as everyone else, right? Um, but you can right. kind of think about how much you filter out. You know, we all have to filter out a certain amount of information. You're, you're bringing in info constantly through the five senses. You're thinking about things constantly, feeling emotions constantly, and you just have to filter out a lot of what goes on in life. Sensitive people do a little less of that filtering. So when we look at the sensitive brain under fMRI scans, what we tend to see is greater activity in a variety of regions of the brain, but especially those that involve uh, going beyond surface level detail and getting deeper into and yeah. analyzing something, as well as areas that bring together different types of information like social or emotional information and sensory information and kind of bring it together and try to put it all into one cohesive picture. Uh, and what that means is that sensitive people will sometimes actually take longer to answer a question or to make a decision because they're going through that deep processing on the inside. It's not always useful. Sometimes you just need to get through the grocery store really quickly. And it doesn't really matter how deeply you process things, but that's what you're going to do. But a lot of times it does pay off. And what we see in simulations of natural selection is that the little creatures that are programmed to act like sensitive people to take a little bit more time, you know, taking in new information and comparing it to past things that they've encountered, uh, they tend to come out ahead in the long run. There might be some times when they miss out on a resource compared to a little creature that's faster to act and, and just shoots from the hip. But on the whole, over a few generations, the sensitive ones tend to win out and amass more resources. And we've seen the same thing in studies involving uh, primates. So we, there's a wonderful study involving monkeys, and they were given fruit snacks, or actually pieces of fruit as snacks, I should say, uh, whenever they completed a task successfully. And they were given a variety of cognitive tasks, things that involved predicting outcomes, noticing changes in patterns, making decisions, things like that. And the ones who are sensitive based on the genes that they have uh, ended up similar to in the simulation. They ended up coming out ahead and just kind of racking up these fruit snacks one after another. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because I think about the experience of children who are highly sensitive and the kind of misconceptions that those children are raised yeah. under and the kinds of conformity they find it so hard to to match. I'd like to ask you a little bit about some of those misconceptions. And, um, and, and I, I would guess as a layperson, 
that little boys might have it tougher than little girls yeah. in the Western world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I so myself, I am a sensitive person and I, I grew up, uh, obviously, uh, as a boy and uh, it's not something that's encouraged. I can tell you that. In fact, for most of my life, I didn't yeah. realize I was highly sensitive. I didn't certainly didn't use that word about myself. Um, and I kind of maybe denied that part of myself. It wasn't until I was an adult and started getting into researching the science behind sensitivity that I understood, wait a minute, I check nearly all of these boxes and I've never thought of myself this way. But there's this association between sensitivity and, and sort of feminine traits. Um, and the reality is it's neither a masculine nor a feminine trait. So, you know, just like any other trait, uh, sensitivity tends to be a continuum. So you can be kind of low average, which is most people, or you can be at the higher end. And about 30% right. of people, nearly one in three, are highly sensitive. Uh, and they'll come up that way on a test, you know, either as a personality test that you take and answer questions or by testing, you know, their genes and looking for the sensitivity genes in there. Um, so about 30%. And that's the same for both men and women. And as far as we know, people of all genders. Um, but it's interesting because sensitivity can come out in different ways. So that deep processing, it can lead to uh, being very in tune with your physical environment. One of the strengths that we talk about in the book and sensitive uh, about sensitive people is what we call sensory intelligence, which is really just being really aware of and attuned to the physical world around you because you're picking up yes. all those little details. Um, yeah. But the military calls that uh, situational awareness, right? And this mm -hmm. is a skill sure. that's always alive in combat because you're noticing, you know, the little signs that there might be an ambush coming up or something like that. And so the military actually trains people to try to have more situational awareness, which is a trait that highly sensitive people are actually born with. Uh, so you think of, you know, soldiers as needing to be less sensitive, but the reality is we've talked to sensitive people who are in the military and they see it as an advantage. It's one of the strengths that helps uh, make them better soldiers and better um, service members. Uh, so in, if you kind of relate to that side of the sensitivity, I think a lot of sensitive men lean into the physical side a lot more. Oh yeah, I'm aware of my surroundings. I'm good at tracking, good at hunting. You know, I can't be fooled when I'm negotiating. I notice those little tells and poker. Uh, those are things men can relate to. They might not relate as much. They might not think they relate as much to the, you know, having stronger emotions or having a really big That's sense right. of that. I never thought of myself as being a high empathy person, certainly not more than anyone else. But what I would say about myself is I was good at reading people. And that's really just empathy by a different name. So we kind of changed that's the true. way we talk. I, I'm so grateful that you you bring up the fact that that there is such a tremendous diversity of emotion and empathy amongst our, our armed forces. I'm sensitive uh, to that. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who are listening who are probably nodding their heads rapidly right now and saying, wow, this sounds a lot like me or my sibling or my partner or, or someone I love in my life. You, you do in the book with your co-author. Uh, have a, a, a checklist of sorts, are you an HSP of the most common characteristics of sensitive people? What what are some of the main characteristics that people should uh, be aware of and open to understanding and uh, and possibly that could be signs that maybe I'm a highly sensitive person as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So it depends a little bit. I mean, different people will relate more to different parts of sensitivity. So you might not check all the boxes. If you relate really strongly to two or three of them, that, that might very well mean you are a highly sensitive person. But just in general, uh, some of the big ones we would look for are um, being very attentive to details would be one. Uh, mm -hmm. Being very creative is another. Those are both different ways in which that deep processing comes out. Um, 
many sensitive people will feel that they have a strong sense of empathy and that that's borne out in empathy tests. They actually do test higher for empathy and show more brain activity in those regions. So if you, you feel like you really, really can read the emotions of other people, or maybe you even feel like you can pick up and absorb the emotions of other people and you feel the same thing they're feeling, uh, that would be a sign you might be an HSP. Um, I think a lot of people who identify as empaths, uh, which is, you know, a very popular term. The scientific explanation for that is you probably are a highly sensitive person and you're picking up on those emotional cues that, you know, everyone can see them. They flash across people's face. It's tiny changes in body language or tone of voice. But most people just kind of filter it out and don't pay much attention. Well, to you, that yeah. lights up your mirror, mirror neuron network and you feel exactly what they're feeling on the inside because you're reconstructing it inside your head. So the see, high empathy. Is, yeah. Yeah. That's what I love about the book. The, the book is is so destigmatizing, and I think there's a lot of folks out there who, let's be honest, we're 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 good kids, but our our dads just couldn't figure us out. You know, <laughs> dad dad loves you. Dad wants to help. Dad's patient and tries to reach you. Dad wishes that you were maybe more like a boy supposed to be. But but the, what I love about the book is that it's also not just about diagnosing this 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 trait, but about unlocking the potential that is inherent. In this trait, and you make a point of talking about sensitive leaders, who you and you argue are the most effective leaders of all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's you know there's an important distinction there that uh, being sensitive is not a disorder, it's not a diagnosis, it's a healthy personality trait. So some people are good with numbers, some people are good with words, some people are more sensitive, some people are less sensitive. These are all just healthy variants on being a human being. Um, but if you are a highly sensitive person, you come with a lot of strengths. We talked about some of them, the creativity, but creativity is not just helpful in the arts. It also comes out as innovation, which is useful in science and business and technology. Uh, we talked about the empathy that translates very powerfully to leadership. We often think of leaders as this, like kind of the typical leader as being harsh and cold and aggressive and assertive. And those traits are maybe common in the people who aspire to be leaders. Um, but what we know from decades of research into effective leadership is that those traits don't make a good leader. And by a good leader, I mean someone who gets results. Uh, companies tend to find that they will actually see more growth uh, if they have leaders in place who have a sense of uh, humility, who are going to take time to listen to their team members, to go to a lot of people who maybe are people below them in the organization, but have expertise and ask the questions and really listen and, and incorporate what they're saying. Uh, shooting from the hip as a leader is a good way to uh, land your company in trouble. Uh, occasionally. <laughs> You know, in a, maybe a fast-paced negotiation, but usually the best way to guide your company is to gather a lot of information, listen to the best experts, and have the humility to realize you don't know everything. Those are things that sensitive people tend to be very uh, natural at doing. They want to gather more information before they make a decision. Um, they also tend to be very good at rallying and inspiring people. They have that sense of empathy, but not only that, they have a strong emotionality. We often think of emotions as a weakness, especially in leadership or in business. The reality is emotion Emotions are where passion comes from. And passion is what rallies people around a vision or a cause that makes them believe in what they're doing. And when you have leaders who are able to speak with passion and really paint a picture of what's the higher thing that we're all working toward here, it makes people feel connected. It gets them fired up and they want to be part of it. And they work harder. They work better. They cooperate more with each other. This is just the recipe for effective leadership. So we see a lot of the greatest leaders and change makers throughout history have the traits of sensitive people.
I got to say how much I, I deeply love everything you just said. Um, you know, I, I've always believed that whatever makes you unable to fit in as a young person is what will make you a superhero when you are grown up. And you have written a beautiful book for beautiful people and the people who love them. Uh, Andre Solo, it's such a pleasure. The book, once again, is Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. What is the best way for our listeners to uh, follow you and keep up with your work? Absolutely. So you can find us at Sensitive Refuge. That's our website, sensitiverefuge.com. And we're online. Everything is at Sensitive Refuge. This book blew my mind. I'd love to have you back anytime. I'd love to talk about the story of the World's Fair in 1903 when the world was crazy and out of control with too much stimulation. <laughs> Thank you so much. so much better since then, right? <laughs> yeah, well, c- come back and let's talk more. I love your book. I love what you're doing. There's a lot of children who uh, are going to have a whole other chance at having a great life as young people and not have to go spend a ton on therapy as broken down, bitter drug addict adults like me. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be Thanks, right God, back in just a moment. Thank you, sir, with your calls at 866-997-4... I'm not an addict. 866-997-4748. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John saying. Hey, Marine Corps Lou is calling from Florida. Hello, sir. Sepper Fi, welcome. Hey, hey, simplify to you, man. Um, let me just take you off speaker one second. Yeah, please. Hey, Thank John, you. I Hi. I am sitting here, and I've, I've been suffering from really bad PTSD for the first time in 20 years, and it's two things, the MAGA and watching the war in Ukraine. And I have to admire Malcolm Nance. Yeah. He actually put up, and he went over there and fought, not as a rear guard, like no. suck up. He was on the front lines. Yeah, and yeah. I wanted to go over there, and and one of the reasons guys like me want to go back and relive that shit is because you want to fight for a worthwhile cause. My cause in the Marine Corps was fucking Ronald Reagan sending us where we shouldn't be. The war yeah. in Ukraine is a just cause. It's Correct. fighting for for against Putin, and, and I would I would go back if I just wasn't so fucked up. But right well, now I'm, I'm s- taking trazodone and prazosin to even go to bed. Wow. And, are are you and doing talk therapy, Lou? Are you doing talk therapy? I got I got therapy, I got psychiatrists, I got everything. 
and, okay. and they're helping. They're helping a lot. Right. I, and the thing is, it 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 started back again when the whole assault of the Capitol. I'm thinking, man, yeah. you know what really got me right away was if it was black people, they would have shot them on the Correct. spot. You nailed and it. Because it was white guys, they let them in. And I, I'm telling you, I have nightmares about mowing these fuckers down because where were they? Where? Why didn't they mow them down? They yeah. were traitors trying to take I think over. You just our said country. why. I, I think you just said why. And one of them did get mowed down, you know. And one of them did get shot and killed. And, and actually, Babbitt you know is dead. I, I, She's I dead because of Trump's I, I, lies. Right, but I don't feel sorry for her because she got sucked. That's like saying to that young sergeant in the SS. Oh, I feel bad for him. He got, no, because he sucked up to Hitler's bullshit, and he yeah, fought for them. So you know what? It's, it's a fucked up situation. I'm telling you, combat I is fucked up. I, I feel bad for anybody but, whose mind is twisted by a cult, but I, I in no way blame the officer who fired the gun. I'm, but where, where, I, where, where the empath thing comes in for me, it saved my life in the Marine Corps because I had every sense heightened. I was aware of everything. I looked at every spot that might be some yep. guy trying to kill me. And Lou, you I should check the book out. We got to hit a break. But listen, will you call more often and tell us about your process and your healing? Because uh, you I are a mighty man, a and I'd love to know more about your journey. Thank you, man. I love you, too. Thank you. I love you right back, sir. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. And welcome back to SiriusXM. We'll be taking your calls at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Graham Nash returns to our show next week. We're very excited to have Graham back. Uh, and of course, if you've missed our recent interviews with uh, Eugene Levy or, or Guillermo del Toro or this week's with uh, Bo-Katan from The Mandalorian, um, you can hear all of those on the app or SiriusXM On Demand. Okay, um, last month, you might remember it ended. It didn't get as much coverage as it needed to in this country, but last month ended with a boat that was shipwrecked off Italy, and at least 70 men, women, and children from Pakistan, Afghanistan, Syria, and other nations died, and many others are still missing. Closer to home, thousands of Afghan refugees who got to the U.S. last year are now terrified that they may lose their work permits and might face deportation back to Afghanistan because their two-year visas are expiring this August, unless our government 
takes swift action. And on top of all of this, uh, while we're dealing with a refugee crisis around the world, we happen to have a skilled worker shortage here in the U.S. There's 80 million baby boomers that are going to be retiring and only about 40 million Generation Xers to take their place. As of last year, we have to admit more than 1 million immigrants per year just to maintain the size of our population. Upwardly Global is the premier national organization working to help immigrants and refugees with international credentials to help restart their careers here in the United States. Their work is so incredibly inspiring and moral and economically and politically very, very smart. Gina Krauss-Vilmar is president and CEO of Upwardly Global. She's an expert on refugee and immigrant economic inclusion. Under her leadership, Upwardly Global has expanded their impact by helping a growing number of immigrant and refugee professionals restart their whole careers here in the U.S., and they've recently expanded their operations to Warsaw, Poland. It's a great pleasure to welcome Gina Krauss-Vilmar to SiriusXM. Thank you, John. I'm so thrilled to be here having this conversation with you. Well, thank you. I I, I began uh, talking about people who died in the boat in Italy. Many of the Afghans who who died that day were were women and children. Um, I guess let me just begin by asking, how bad has the situation become under the Taliban? The situation under the Taliban is pretty intolerable. And what's most scary about this is we're not actually getting much news coming out of Afghanistan. So you can only imagine what the reality looks like on the ground. Um, We know that more and more restrictions come out every week um, on women and girls, whether it's first... eliminating their ability to go to school past seventh grade, um, or whether it's eliminating their ability to be in public spaces without a male escort. Um, And so it's really troubling. And it's a lot of people are still trying to get family out. Um, A lot of people are very worried about family that are there. And we still have evacuations happening. I have to say, I was kind of shocked to see that they're trying to escape the country on boats now. When we think about people fleeing the Taliban, we think of them crossing desert borders. But, I mean, it's gotten really dire. People are just trying to get out of the country any way they can. You know, people will pay smugglers. And and the challenge here is is oftentimes they don't have cash to to pay smugglers. So it's really indentured servitude in a lot of ways. And um, they're paying smugglers and smugglers will take them in all kinds of routes. I've met Afghans who have been ended up in Ecuador, um, who have been smuggled there as well. And the the real challenge is, is we know that less than 1% of refugees worldwide are resettled. So that means richer countries are not sharing their portion of the burden. While Oftentimes, also conflict-ridden developing countries that neighbor these countries um, are taking on a large portion portion of the burden. So you cannot blame people for looking not only for a way to to be safe, but also for a way to survive. Yes, that figure is unbelievable. That only one percent of refugees have been resettled. It's kind of hard to wrap my head around that, considering with climate change, we should be expecting refugee crises to be much more widespread and devastating in the next couple of decades. You know, at, at Devos, we recently heard that um, one of the largest concerns internationally is migration, and how our countries setting themselves up to be better equipped to support migration. And at the same time, Mm -hmm. not only in the United States, but in many other industrial countries, 
They have aging populations. They have huge workforce shortages. And these workforce shortages are not just going to last a year or two. They are really going to be the future of these communities in these countries where they have aging populations. And so, for example, in China, we've just seen a law passed which requires Chinese citizens to join a dating app in order to facilitate right. more introductions and relationships and more children. In France, we just saw Macron, President Macron, push through without a lot of support, increasing the retirement age because they're trying to get That's more right. out of the labor force that they have. And what's unique about the United States is, is that we are a largely immigrant country. We do attract a large number of immigrants and refugees to our shores. And we do have the ability to help these individuals integrate in our communities and in our workforce. But in order to do that, we need to do two things. First, we need the political will. And second of all, we need to start seeing immigrants and refugees as a win, a win for our communities, a win for our ability to in innovate, a win for our economy. And by doing that, not asking ourselves the question, who should we let in? But asking ourselves a question, how well do we help these people integrate so that we can create shared mm -hmm. prosperity for all of us? Exactly right. And that's why I, I love what you do. Obviously, we, we need to talk about how the entire international community has to do more to help Afghans, especially Afghan women and children, get humanitarian visas. It, it, the, the morality is right there. We can talk about it all day. What I love about your organization is you talk about how economically smart it is. I'm very fond of pointing out that when adults or migrants arrive in the U.S., they're here ready to work. They're educated. They may have already had careers and they may already be skilled, but we don't have to pay for their education. They are showing up ready to enter our workforce and start paying into our Social Security plan. So getting them into the workplace is smart for all of us. And dare I say, uh, really good for capitalism. Well, they're, they're, and, and this, what's interesting about this moment is that today, 85% of the growth in our working age population is coming from immigrants and the children of immigrants. So the reality is for the United States of America today, immigrants are the future of our workforce. So the second piece, which is really interesting, which is what you touched on is 50% of immigrants coming into the country today have a bachelor's degree or higher. So we're getting really a mixed flow of people. And I want to stress, the United States needs all skill levels. You know, right now we have huge shortages in transportation, whether it's truck drivers, whether it's warehouse personnel, whether it's um, technicians, we have huge shortages mm -hmm. in healthcare. And under COVID, you started to hear language around labor shortages in the healthcare sector are a national security risk because we are not able to take care of our people. And that becomes a huge risk yes. for the country. And we seem to have forgotten that, even though we all know we have huge shortages in doctors and nurses. And, and actually there are 165,000 internationally trained doctors in the United mm -hmm. States today who are not working as physicians. Yes, They are working as, <laughs> we have a doctor who's working at Wendy's as a cashier. We have a doctor That's who it. is a security guard. We have doctors who have not only been, as you said, trained internationally. We didn't have to invest in their education. We didn't have to invest in their work experience. Another country already did that. And yet they're here and they're unable to, to work and to really 
get back into their careers. And so that's a miss for us as a country. And I think it's um, it's not us leveraging the win-win with people who actually see the United States, not as a transit country, but a destination country in which these are people who are rejoining family. These are people who are seeking refuge yes. and safety. These are people who might have won the lottery because they really want to make the United States their home. Um, and so they are looking to put roots. They are looking to invest. And and I say, you know, this is a mixed flow. We need all skill levels. And yet we see that more and more of immigrants are coming, I'm sorry, refugees are coming from middle income countries. So for Afghans, we evacuated 75,000 plus Afghans. About a third of them speak English language proficiently and are professionals because they work just alongside our men and women um, as helicopter, it was, you know, as Black Hawk helicopter um, pilots, as technicians on the bases, as interpreters. And out of the 250,000 Ukrainians that we've allowed into the country, 85% of them have an advanced education and professional experience. So the the message it's here amazing. from Upwardly Global is that we should these individuals should not be sitting on the sidelines. They should not be under underemployed. They should absolutely have the ability to re-enter their careers. And when we do that, we have tremendous impact. So if we just take the Afghan population that we've evacuated as an example, they have the okay. potential be, to be contributing $1.7 billion to our economy a year if we got them jobs at their skill level. They would be contributing That's $227 million in taxes. This makes economic sense, and it's morally <laughs> correct. It's our us fulfilling our promise. Absolutely. You know, according to the Migration Policy Institute, I know you shared this, there's thousands of internationally trained immigrants and refugees in New York City right now, thousands, and many of them can't get a job because there's no recognition of their credentials from another country. Now, Upwardly Global, I know, just released a new report that goes deep into the positive impact Afghan professionals have already made on America's economy. Um, it seems like, in a way, as they're dreading be possibly being deported, no one's doing anything. But there is the Afghan Adjustment Act, which we're not hearing about too much in mainstream media. Can you tell us a bit about it? So this is tragic because we are two years after the evacuation in the fall of Kabul, and this still has not been passed. Um, the Afghan Adjustment Act would allow, so Afghans, were, many Afghans came in on something we call humanitarian parole. Humanitarian parole is a right. temporary temporary visa status, usually enacted for a year to two years, and it allows people with work authorization, but it doesn't necessarily allow them with any other benefits, the ability to access um, other services from, from the government. Now, once mm -hmm. those two years are up, they need to leave or they need to apply for asylum. And, and the challenge with asylum is, first of all, many of these Afghans, because they were they and their families were at risk because of the work they did for the U.S. government, they burned all of their documents to demonstrate any connection with the U.S., with their education, mm -hmm. which would indicate that they likely worked with the U.S. government. And so they don't necessarily have uh, documents course. that would be required right. to apply for asylum. So you, you've got these individuals who are stuck in limbo, who can't necessarily access asylum, or if they do, it is a very long, difficult path, which would really require a good lawyer. Um, or 
they're at risk of being told that they're not legally here, which means they would lose work work authorization. And at some point, the government would have the ability to deport them. Um, the Afghan Adjustment Act is important is because it would allow us to basically say all Afghans who were evacuated are eligible for skipping all of that process and being able to get a green card within a year. And a green card really puts mm. you on a pathway for legal permanent residency um, and on the pathway to U.S. citizenship. And so instead of going through all of that headache, it would just eliminate all of it and allow them to be able to get the green card. So the other thing that people need to realize is this is not a unique case. We have done this in the U.S. several times. We did this with the rise of Fidel Castro for the Cubans. We did this when um, right. the U.S. withdrew from Vietnam. We did this following the U.S. military actions in Iraq, both Operation Desert Storm right. and Operation Iraq Freedom. So we have clear precedent for this. The challenge is, is this needs to happen through Congress. Um, and so while yeah. you recently saw that Ukrainians were able to extend the humanitarian parole from one to two years, Afghans can't get that same benefit at this point because the administration doesn't have the power and authority to make that change. They need Congress to act. Right. And as you pointed out, so many of these people don't have their papers because they had to destroy their papers because they helped us in the first place. Um, I'd like to ask you, you know, we, we are now, of course, marking the one year anniversary of the Ukraine war and, and the one year anniversary of the beginning of the Ukraine refugee crisis. Um, in your experience, how are Ukraine refugees doing settling into new lives in the U.S.? And, and, and how is that particular crisis going? So the Ukraine crisis, it's always interesting when you have a beginning of a crisis. I've worked in many conflict zones um, and refugee response efforts internationally. And on average, a refugee is a refugee for nine years. Um, so realistically, when you see a crisis, you expect it to last at least 10 years. Um, and yet mm -hmm. in the early days of Ukraine response, there was a hope that would be just the summer and people would return. And now we know that's not the case. Yes. Um, many Ukrainians who have been able to come, 215,000, um, as I mentioned before, many of them are professionals. Um, they are settling in well. We have a large Ukrainian communities in the United States who have been very welcoming we have a sponsorship program of individuals who are hosting Ukrainian refugees who have been incredibly welcoming. And many Ukrainians are settling in states where there are large existing Ukrainian communities, such as New York, California, Illinois. Um, I would say they, of course, still face challenges in terms of being able to access the, um, the labor market because they... Yes. Um, their credentials might not be recognized. They might not know how to um, compete for a U.S. style interview. They probably have not written sure. a resume in 10 years and have no idea what that actually looks like in the U.S. Not to mention, how do you ensure you put the right words in there for the technology ATS systems to pick it up? Um, and so I would say they're, they are eager to work. Many of them are getting work authorization quickly. Um, and are working, and many of them are now looking to actually stay and raise their families. We had a wonderful woman, Anastasia, wow. who has two master's degrees, brought, came over with her eight-year-old son. Her husband is fighting, um, and she has now gotten a job as an IT recruiter and um, is just thrilled. She's living on um, 
Long Island. And and now she says she really wants to stay. So I think the welcome has been great in the United States. I think the challenges is we haven't seen that level of engagement with Afghans. Um, and that yeah. is concerning. Yeah. Um, and I would say in Europe, um, the welcome for Ukrainians has also been strong, particularly in Poland, because there's a large affinity between the two cultures and the two communities. And there's also a strong sure, of course. dislike between the two communities of Russia. They have they share that yes. distress. Um, and they have not accepted Afghans in the same way as they have the Ukrainian community. So I think for us, our message is the way we have welcomed Ukrainians should be the new standard, and that should be the standard for all communities. Um, and now that we know what that looks like, we can um, hold ourselves to that bar. I mean, you 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 express yourself so beautifully with such great sensitivity. I, I just want to say uh, it really sounds like non-white refugees have a substantially more painful time in Western states. That's what we're talking 100%, about. Right? 100%. 100%. Yeah. Bias and discrimination, um, assumptions that, you know, we have wonderful Nigerian colleagues who've worked in the financial industry and people assume that they don't speak English, even though English is the native language of Nigeria. Um, and so there, there is an incredible amount of bias that sits at various intersections for our community. Um, and and we see that both in terms of the type of jobs they get, how quickly they get into those jobs and their starting salary, um, mm. which is not a surprise given the gender wage gap and the fact that white women earn 84 cents to a white man's dollar and black women earn 65 cents to a white man's dollar. So a lot of work to be done on all fronts. And I would guess I would say once we lift up one community, we lift up them all. Well, let me ask you then about another another bill that's uh, making its way through Congress, and that's the New Deal for New Americans Act. I know this is uh, something that Ed Markey has gotten behind. Um, what is uh, this? I've heard you say this is the most important comprehensive immigration inclusion bill. What would it entail and, and how would it uh, change the playing field for potential new Americans? So I think one of the most important things for people to know is, is there is not a one single place where immigrants are considered in the administration, right? So there's not a spot for them to be considered as a community to understand how do we ensure their healthcare outcomes? How do we ensure their workforce outcomes? And yet they're a growing part of our population. As I mentioned before, they are the growth and the future of our yes. workforce. Um, and so the, the New Deal for New Americans would not only shift uh, how we process individuals and eligibility, as well as um, how we convert some folks like DACA, um, right. but it would also impact the investments that we're making for, rep for immigrant inclusion at the federal level and at the state level. Um, and so many states have already taken this on, on their own. Um, they've set up Office of New Americans, which sit within their state government, which are tasked and responsible for ensuring that immigrants and refugees are considered across the administration's efforts at the state level. What we really need is for that to be best practice across the country. You know, it it, it might seem kind of trivial, but I I, I, I want to ask what you felt last week when we saw Ki Hoi Kwan win his Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Everything Everywhere All at Once and just announced that he he began his his career as a child in a refugee camp and then went from that to, as he said, I ended up on Hollywood's biggest stage. I know that must have meant a lot to you and your colleagues. 
you know, it's so it's so powerful to hear these stories, especially for our community, because one of the biggest challenges is a loss of belief that there will ever be a better future for them. Um, I remember meeting an, a, a Turkish asylee who was a uh, data analyst working in San Francisco, and he was cleaning toilets and he would call his mom and he was so ashamed of what he had gotten as a job that he lied to her about what he was doing for work. Um, and now he's working and still working at Facebook. Um, and that has been transformative because there's a loss of identity. There's a loss of belief that there is a future here. Many yes. uh, immigrants in our communities will tell us, you know, the best you're going to be able to do is work at a nail salon, just give up on the fact that you had another identity in life. Yeah. Um and so to see stories like that of perseverance um, is so powerful. Representation matters in so many ways, and it lifts so many people's dreams about what is actually possible. I, I do want to point out that uh, Department of Homeland Security just announced, I think two weeks ago, that Ukrainian refugees who came to the U.S. between late February and late April of last year now qualify for a humanitarian parole extension. Uh, that sounds very benevolent. Is it? Or is it just hitting a snooze alarm before more dread? It is benevolent. Um, the administration is keenly aware that they have used humanitarian parole um, extensively in terms of being able to get people in quickly. So it takes on average three to five years to apply and get refugee status into the United States. That means you're sitting in a camp somewhere and you've applied and you're the lucky 1% that gets to come to the United States and it's taken you three to five years to secure that and now you're here. It is the hardest way to legally come into the United States. Mm. Humanitarian mm. parole has been used by this administration to basically accelerate that and say, we know Ukrainians are at risk. We're gonna vet you for security, but you should just come on, come on in. Um, challenge with that is humanitarian parole is only good for up to two years. And so they're gonna have a big, mess on their hands after yeah. this year. So they bought time for themselves, yes, um, but it, it is because they believe Ukrainians should stay and they're not safe returning, but there's no there's no pathway for future um, at this time, unless they did a Ukrainian Adjustment Act, which they uh -huh. could. Um, there's no uh, future for somebody on humanitarian parole long-term. Um, and I guess we'll have to see if the Afghan Adjustment Act comes out before the Ukrainian one. It's just amazing that at a time when we, we see the proof that, that refugees and, and adult immigrants coming to the U.S. has helped replenish the U.S. labor force and our economy literally needs them, while at the same time, modern Confederates are trying to demonize immigrants and refugees when economically we need them more than ever. And that's why your work means so much. What's the best way, Ms. Krauss-Vilmar, for our guests to follow Upwardly Global in your work and keep up with all your doings? So I'm going to say go to my website because you'll find any link to LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter that you want from there, which is upwardlyglobal, one word, dot org. And just on that last note, John, you know, I, met, I heard you say, you know, immigrants are stealing our jobs um, in, a, in a previous segment with a caller. Well, I said it, I, I said it ironically. I hope you took it that you way. You said it ironically, but I wrote it down because I was like, actually... We're taking the jobs that nobody is doing and exactly. that we need done. And if, if <laughs> you don't bring immigrants in, our economy 
is going to suffer and inflation is going to increase. And that's it. Um, we're going to be in more of a mess than we already are in. So, I mean, two thirds of Donald argue Trump's we're the wives. solution to all the problems. <laughs> two thirds of Donald Trump's wives were immigrants doing work that Americans born here didn't want to do. And you're right for all of 100%. these anti-refugee, anti-immigrant uh, politicians. Who who do you think is going to be taking care of you in 30 years when you're 90 years old? It is such a pleasure and an honor to have you. Gina Krause-Vilmar is president and CEO of Upwardly Global. Please, please come back anytime. Uh, I'd love to have you back and talk more about your work and about how this struggle for decency and economic sustenance is going. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Sirius XM. I'm John Fugel saying peace. Peace.